the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, hello there, and a uh, belated happy Thanksgiving to you. I know we wish we one to you last week, but it never hurts to say it again, right? First day back on the radio here following the holiday. Trust you had a, a wonderful one and uh, made it back safely from wherever you perhaps uh, took off with the family. Lots of craziness going on at the airports with all the weather back east and even some of the weather here in the Bay Area. Well, back in the saddle again and uh, back to a, a somewhat regular week of uh, programming here, although um, certainly holidays, lots Going on, much to talk about. We're going to spend some time tonight talking about an important issue that's gaining a lot of headline attention, and yet I don't know how many people really fully understand the the totality, the breadth and depth of the implications of what's happening in China right now. And there are a couple of layers here. Certainly, the one that we're seeing the most attention paid to is in relationship to the China trade talks. And the president today indicating that, well, it may have to be until after the 2020 election before they are able to fully come back to the table and resume trade talks. I'm I'm paraphrasing there. That language, though, paraphrased accurately or not, did not sit well with Wall Street. And in fact, at one point, we were down some 400 points on the day. And um, the notion of continuing to drag this out months and months and a year later, um, certainly unsettling a lot of investors. But the other issue in relationship to China that's gotten a little bit of attention, but perhaps has even broader and deeper implications, is China and what's happening with Hong Kong. Today, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo calling on China to uphold the treaty that it agreed to when it took over governance once again of Hong Kong back in 19. 19- Well, you have a a people that is desirous of having the Chinese Communist Party live up to the promise that it made back in 1997. It's a ratified treaty. It sits at the United Nations. They they talked about having one country with two systems. Our efforts to make sure that those weren't empty promises that were made to the people of Hong Kong. Uh, The Chinese Communist Party owes it to those people to live up to those commitments that they made. There is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and I think very accurate observation that, yes, indeed, uh, they need to live up to their promises. And yet the operative word in that statement that perhaps uh, was was lost on many, that is the Chinese communist government. Operative word there is communist. Promises are not always things that are made or meant to be kept from that political perspective. Let's go a bit deeper and gain some understanding as to what's happening here, why these protests have been taking place, and the very precarious potential position that we are in as the United States, the president having signed a declaration that is basically in defense of the protesters, all the while upsetting Beijing while we're in the midst of this ongoing 
trade battle. Bob Zadek joins us, host of the Bob Zadek Show. He, of course, can be heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer and syndicated all up and down the West Coast. You can get information about his program online at bobzadek.com. That's bobzadek.com. In addition to hosting his radio program, he's an accomplished lawyer and an accomplished author. His most recent book, The Bubble, How Higher Education Abandoned Its Mission and Became America's Most Overrated Product. Bob, a belated happy Thanksgiving to you. Welcome to the program. Craig, I meant to ask you, what is the statute of limitations on Happy Thanksgiving? I don't know. <laughs> when, does, when does that greeting expire as a matter of law? Yeah, I, we're going to have to look into that. There's the, you're more of the legal expert here than I am. We're going to have to look into that <laughs> and see. <laughs> Promise me, when I'm on the show right before Easter, you're not going to be wishing me a Happy Thanksgiving. Please nope, promise at, me. At that point, we probably move on to Happy New Year's belated. <laughs> well, Craig, let's, let's, what I've been following... When I've been following what's going on in Hong Kong, I had this thought process. As I'm watching Hong Kong struggling with the turmoil in, uh, rather China, struggling with the turmoil in Hong Kong, I did a mind mind experiment. And during this conversation we're going to have this afternoon, I kept in the back of my mind sort of running split screen is the U.S. relationship to Puerto Rico. And as we discuss, what should our policy be vis-a-vis China in its dealings with Hong Kong? I kept on asking myself, how would we feel if China took a similar position on our relationship to Puerto Rico? What if... uh, And China uh, encourages the... Uh, citizens of Puerto Rico to seek independence or to seek statehood, to seek some change. Would we take it lying down? Would we say that's fair game? It's part of how nations deal with each other? I think not. So as we chat about Hong Kong and China and what's going on between those two, I'll say countries, but Hong Kong status is somewhere between being part of China and a separate country. It's a creature of treaty. Um, As we talk about Hong Kong's relationship to China, bear in mind, whatever conclusions we reach and whatever conclusions our audience reaches, that conclusion better work dealing with U.S.'s relationship to Puerto Rico. Uh, If it doesn't work, it means we're guilty of hypocrisy. So that's a ground rule I'll softly establish, and I'll impose it upon myself and su- suggest it would be interesting to have us both do that as we talk about Hong Kong. Well, and I think that, that you, you kind of, um, in the early stages of our conversation, throw a bit of a monkey wrench based on reality <laughs> into the conversation here, Robert, because so often we take the don't do as we do, do as we say position when it comes to uh, political relationships and overseas issues, et cetera. Etc. And, you know, I, I find the irony here, number one, um, why any of us would find the behavior by Beijing to be surprising. We know in the very beginning, this notion of two systems, one country, probably was not going to have a very long shelf life. And to be sure, early on, when there was a strong 
economic motivating factor for Beijing to kind of maintain sort of a hands-off position and maintain this autonomy, which even at the very get-go, they said, would only last for 50 years. Um, but, but now that we've seen the amount of economic growth on the mainland, not to suggest that Hong Kong is diminished per se, but it's got some serious economic competition on mainland China that heretofore didn't really exist. It was just beginning to sort of uh, emerge in 1997 and when the, the handoff, essentially the lease that, that uh, Great Britain had on uh, Hong Kong it expired and the, and the property, the territory was turned back over to Chinese rule. So I, I, I suppose, Bob, at a, at a certain level, some of the shock and horror uh, over some of the actions by Beijing is, is, is maybe in, in some arenas a bit out of place, given the fact that, you know, what else did we really expect them to do? And what is it the business of the United States to be active in fomenting dissent in Hong Kong? The goals, of course, we, we aspire that the world live in peace, harmony, and democracy with open markets and open borders. That's aspirational. But what what principle of foreign policy, uh, there's no treaty, encourages us to interfere with this dispute between Hong Kong and another entity, I'm going to say entity, not country, another entity with which it has some contractual ties. Why isn't that a family matter between Hong Kong and China? And how is our self-interest? We would think that our government would operate in our name and in our collective self-interest. How is it in our self-interest to take a position in that dispute? If we take a position, we make an enemy. If we don't take a position, we don't lose a friend, nor do we make an enemy. It doesn't make any sense to me for us to interfere in that dispute. And remember, Craig, how sensitive we are, and we have to always bear in mind how angry we collectively got, if we did, when it it was feared that Russia was meddling in our, in this case, in our elections. Of course, they weren't. That was all kind of fake, and they certainly didn't influence the outcome, and we can discuss that as a whole other topic, but we sure didn't like it very much, and why doesn't the same rule apply, and why are we, as a matter of policy, how do we justify meddling in the affairs of China and Hong Kong. I, I, with me, I always look for a principle. When I have a conversation with another person and we tend to be disagreeing, I say, let's make a rule. Let's both state the principle that drives us, then we'll apply that principle to whatever the conversation is. But the rule is you must stay true to your principle. In the case of Hong Kong, I don't see a principle that's governing our behavior. It's all ad hoc. Well, certainly there's a degree, and we'll pick up this uh, part of the conversation after the break. There's a degree to which we have long, as America, 
prided ourselves on the notion of being builders in some cases, at least we fancy ourselves that, and defenders of democracy the world around, although recent history has demonstrated that we have failed largely on both of those points, uh, perhaps because we've unrealistically gone into certain parts of the world thinking that we could impose our um, democracy-oriented will upon other peoples and other nations. Uh, witness, for example, the notion of, of nation-building and democracy-building in countries like Iraq, for example. Um, and, and then the notion of trying to defend places where uh, democracy is, is facing challenges or sputtering. But it goes back, I think, to, and we'll talk about this after the break, the notion that we don't do a very good job when it comes to picking our fights, choosing our friends. Um, we, we sometimes tend to um, want to beat our chest to prove a point, but in the process of doing so, engage in some very ugly alliances or abandon our allies or fail to recognize um, what's the old na- notion? Uh, keep your, your uh, friends close and your enemies even closer. We don't always do a very good job at that. If you've just joined the conversation, we're talking about the implications of uh, the ongoing protests in Hong Kong. Uh, you know that while the initial reason for this, the argument that there would be uh, extradition rights so that um, someone who violated the law in Hong Kong could be extradited to the mainland China, the fear there, of course, that there could be uh, judicial failures and you could wind up in a gulag somewhere never to be heard from again. That is what spurred on these protests from the very beginning. Now that that proposal has been withdrawn, there are ongoing concerns. And uh, the question that we're sort of grappling with tonight is, um, are we making a mistake by taking sides? And what of the long-term impact of not just irritating China, but in the process, driving China and Russia deeper into each other's arms. We'll talk about that, too. Bob Zadek is with us, nationally syndicated talk show host, best-selling author. His show, The Bob Zadek Show, every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer, information available about Bob's broadcast and his latest book, The Bubble, How Higher Education Abandoned Its Mission and Became America's Most Overrated Product. You'll find that on Bob's website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. 520, let's get an update on traffic for you. And then we'll roll back into more of our visit with Bob Zadek. Right now, though, a visit from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. We are talking about Hong Kong and China. And, of course, as you probably know, they have been uh, under an increasing degree of scrutiny in relationship to these protests. Protests that, that first broke out some time ago when it was announced that there was going to be consideration of a law that would allow for legal extradition to the mainland. And, of course, the concern there was, well, Beijing could target activists and journalists and you could get into the system in mainland China and just kind of disappear Witness the fact that there is evidence to demonstrate that religious minorities um, in in the Uyghur region of uh, China that are predominantly uh, Muslim, uh, allegedly there are up to a million people that are in 
brainwashing camps, retraining camps. I'm not sure what we want to call them. Well, in response to all this uh, and concerns about the protests and um, the, uh, the notion of Beijing not entirely keeping its promises to uphold the so-called one country, two systems policy that they had established when they took back control of Hong Kong in 1997. Uh, United States uh, responding, China now responding to a law that was signed by the president uh, in support of the pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong. China now saying, okay, two can play that game. They are forbidding U.S. Navy ships to dock in Hong Kong. John Klein has more details. Beijing announced sanctions today in response to last week's enactment of a law supporting Hong Kong pro-democracy protesters. In addition, the sanctions will keep American military planes from landing in Hong Kong. Beijing also will impose sanctions on a number of U.S. non-government human rights organizations that have been monitoring and reporting on the protests. John Klein, NBC News Radio. Bob Zadek is offering some perspective on all of this. And, um, Bob, let's talk a bit about what seems to be tit for tat and the likelihood that this is going to escalate. And, uh, you know, the one arena where um, Hong Kong knows they'll have us over a barrel is the whole issue of trade. I know that we think we have the upper hand by declaring we're going to put all these high tariffs on and punish people. But the irony is that I think at the end of the day, if anybody's going to pay a higher um, price, it's going to be the end consumers, not necessarily Beijing. What of this notion that this could escalate into something that uh, could get out of control pretty quickly? Craig, why do you say could escalate? As you just reported one second ago, it is escalating, uh, and it will continue to escalate. And you are so correct, Craig, in linking the subject of Hong Kong, Chinese internal policies, linking that with the issue of trade. And that that compels a conversation about whether trade should ever be used as a weapon or as a tool to influence another country. And of course, as a free marketeer, I say resoundingly, of course, it should never be used as a tool. When you when we impose tariffs on Chinese goods, we are, as everybody knows, simply imposing a tax upon Americans. Well, that'll stick it to China. Let's just make Americans pay more for stuff. And note the hypocrisy. China is, as of course we know, a huge trading partner, huge trading partner. Why? Because this stuff is high quality and really, really cheap. That's pretty compelling. So the United States, as a matter of policy, generally recognizes that and continues to trade with China despite horrendous treatment by the Chinese of its own citizens and occupants such as the Uyghurs. So there is such profound hypocrisy in pretending that we care and try to use trade selectively when we are utter embarrassing hypocrites about the whole situation. And Craig, I just want to make one other point. You said right before the break, United States has been bad in picking its fights. And I will just qualify that. You're exactly right. I want to add a qualification. Anytime we pick a fight, you never can be smart in picking a fight. Picking a fight is per se bad. There's no good way to pick a fight. The best way is never pick a fight, not to pick a good fight. 
Yeah, and, and of course, our ability to tell the difference between a good, bad, and a fat, bad uh, fight going in is, is, is tremendously hampered uh, by our, our sense of being very short-sighted, that we can't see by the end the, the tip of our nose. I made reference to, Bob, before the break to this notion that we oftentimes like to pride ourselves in being builders and defenders of democracy. And, and, and while certainly as the flag waves behind me and the national anthem comes up in the background, uh, that sounds like a wonderful thing. Uh, this can be extremely complicated, and as we hope, but apparently not so, learn from our incursion into Iraq, that attempting to try and essentially insist that somebody adopt our viewpoints when it comes to freedom, democracy, self-governance, is not always a bill of goods easily sold. Greg, you have said uh, this may be the first time there's going to be a sliver of disagreement between us. Perhaps there should be a drum roll preceding what I'm about to say. (laughs) But I kind of disagree that we pride ourselves on being defenders of democracy. We are not defenders of democracy. We encourage democracy by example, not by imposing it. We say, here's how we live Here's what we produce. Here's how the daily life of Americans is affected in a relatively free society. If you like what we're doing, why don't you try it? That should be the way we defend democracy, by leading by example. Once you impose it, it's like eat your spinach. Well, every child who's told to eat the spinach is going to throw it on the floor under the table. Because that's a necessary reaction. One force invites a force in the equal and opposite direction. And we cannot impose democracy. We can sell it. We can persuade. We can show people tangibly that our system works pretty gosh darn well. But to impose it upon people, what hubris? And why do we care? And why are our tax dollars being spent so somebody I will never meet might have a shot at democracy, even though they might not even want it. Justify us spending our fortune in lives to impose democracy on somebody else. It cannot be defended. Well, I think at a level, and this is certainly a very altruistic viewpoint, that the the attempt to try and export democracy to other peoples is is a laudable goal if the goal in mind is to help them enjoy the same sort of freedoms and benefit from the fruits of their labor as we have with American or Western-style democracy. But that said, and as we failed to learn during the Iraq incursion, uh, you just can't force that upon people unless they are willing to embrace it and even understand what it is in the first place. In many of these countries, it's difficult for them to get uh, overly eager in embracing Western-style democracy because they really don't understand what it is because they've never experienced it for themselves. And so then we find ourselves in this position where we're essentially trying to, to cause somebody to embrace democracy at the point of a gun. And uh, that never seems to work out too well either. Craig, you know, the analogy I'll make without in any way uh, minimizing the importance of democracy, our country can learn a lot from Levi Strauss 
Levi Strauss never caused an invasion of another country and forced citizens to buy their blue jeans. But somehow, the entire world bought blue jeans made by Levi Strauss or a knockoff. And no matter how hard a country might try to keep out blue jeans or to keep out uh, DVRs when there were DVRs or to keep out American music, they couldn't do it. They failed. They could keep out democracy because that's being forced on them. But when the people internally want it, that's when democracy occurs. When we have a superior product, democracy, it sells itself. When you have to sell a product at the point of a gun, the product can't be that good or it doesn't appear to be that good. Well, it goes back to a point that you made earlier that I think is a very valid one, and that is that if we're going to hold high the torch of democracy in doing so, let us be the greatest example of what that looks like so that we create a greater government, a finer republic, one that that becomes the envy of the world, and, and others look at it and say, we want that too, just as people saw Westerners coming to their countries and saying, I like the denim you're wearing. I want a pair of jeans like that as well. I remember at a time in in, um, in Soviet Russia, this is going back 20-something plus 20, well, 30 years, uh, if you went there as a Westerner wearing a pair of blue jeans, it wasn't unusual for a Russian to very quietly and, and surreptitiously offer you, you know, a pair of jeans that you spent, uh, you know, 30 bucks for at, at Sears to offer you $150, $200 because they so desperately wanted a pair of American-made blue jeans for themselves. Wouldn't it be nice if we saw these countries so desperately want American-style democracy that they would go to any length, pay any price, to obtain it just as much as our founding fathers did back in the 1800s? Those who would do us harm around the world, our enemies or perceived enemies, they are our enemy because they see us as representing an existential existential threat to them because we force our will upon them. We send troops to their country. We interfere with their affairs. We would have probably no enemies if all we did was practice freedom and democracy at home and welcome into our bosom any other country who was going to be free and democratic with free markets, they become our friend. But once we adopt that approach, number one, democracy will spread much faster because it's not being spread by force. And number two, we will not have 700 plus military bases around the world. We go about our lives we show by example, we welcome friends who want to, and we offer to teach them how to live the kind of life that we live. We offer instruction on how to do it, but never imposition. Then we'd have no enemies, no need for a strong military presence around the world, and we would succeed in the goal of encouraging democracy. That's the libertarian worldview. We're visiting today with best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show. You can catch his program Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock right here in the San Francisco Bay Area and up and down the West Coast, across the country. Um, details available on his website at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K dot com. Let's take a time out. When we come back, let's explore where we're at and how dangerous a potential escalation between the two sides might potentially be with what are arguably the world's 
leading economic and military superpowers, the United States and Communist China. We take this time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. 5.38, we're a bit late. You're stuck in traffic, maybe, so you know what that's like to be late, right? Let's see what's going on on the road ahead from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As Bob Zadek aptly pointed out in the previous segment, uh, it's not a matter of what happens when this escalates. Oh, it's escalating. Uh, We've seen that already transpire. One of the big challenges, of course, here in the, the relationship of the China trade talks is that the president of China is president for life, and he's got a lot of mileage ahead of him. Donald Trump, however, might have a year left, maybe five. November, and I suppose some of these impeachment matters will uh, will be a deciding factor. But regardless, the fact that we've now passed a bill in support of the Democrat protesters in Hong Kong, China has already retaliated by saying, okay, no Air Force planes, United States Air Force planes, will be allowed to land in Hong Kong, and you will see no U.S. naval vessels at the port of Hong Kong, and that's just the opening salvo. How significantly could this escalate between these two powers that mm, we need each other, and yet how much do we need each other? And does one side need the other side more than the other? Bob Zadek, what do you think? How how significant could this escalation get? And who's got the most to risk here? Who's got the most to lose? Both uh, have the most to lose. Look, we have two... Uh, what we learn when you observe foreign affairs and trade, and they are, as you pointed out, inexorably linked foreign affairs and trade, they play off each other. But the one principle we always know is that countries are infinitely less likely to attack their customers. No one who sells anything would benefit from killing the customer. Well, we are Chinese. We are customers of China. And to the extent that we trade with China, that's almost a life insurance policy because China is unlikely to seek to do us harm in any way so long as we are a customer, which means the more trade with China, the more important we are as a customer and the more important they are as a vendor, the closer we get linked to each other and the greatest stake we have in the long-term viability of the other. It's, it's just plain economic common sense. And to the extent that you weaken trade, you reduce the, as I call it, life insurance. So using trade as a tool is utterly insane. It's the wrong tool. Plus, when you use trade as a tool, the victims become the country imposing the tariffs and cutting off the trade. In this case, you and I and your listeners become the victims of that policy. And there's no reason to make Americans pay for this foreign uh, policy fiasco, which is using trade as a weapon. In my opinion, we should be trading with Cuba. 
we should be trading with any country who offers us something at a good price or wants to buy what we are selling at a price we're willing to sell it for. That's just common sense. We have seen certainly this major drifting away from what had been historically embraced by the Republican Party, at least, uh, the notion of open and free trade. It was good for business. Open markets are good for business. And uh, uh, this is the way we all succeed. And we do business with each other and we grow and, and uh, you know, hopefully participate in, uh, in contributing to one another's success. We've certainly seen in this current battle uh, a big hit taken by American farmers. And I guess the big question, Bob, and what I'll leave you with and that is that a country like China that says, okay, the United States is getting a bit hostile here, uh, you're not the only game in town. We might be the biggest and easiest market to sell to, but we're certainly not their only customer. And as we're learning, certainly in the arena of, of um, um, agriculture, um, they can and will take their business elsewhere. And they are a huge consumer of American pork and American soybeans, and those markets are really suffering with no end in sight. And Trump kinds to pay, tries to paper over the problem by using more tax dollars, or he says proceeds of the tariffs, and giving it right back to the farmers, which means you're converting somebody who earns a living by doing farming, which is what they like, to somebody who feels like they are on welfare. The fact that we make up the money difference does not make the farmer feel any better about how that farmer spends their day. I wouldn't be very happy if somebody paid me whatever my salary is, but in exchange I had to sit home and do nothing. That wouldn't make me very happy. Point well taken. Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, here locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area. On AM 860, The Answer, you can catch his program and, of course, uh, podcast and other resources available through Bob's website at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. And uh, be sure to check out his new book, by the way, The Bubble, How Higher Education Abandoned Its Mission and Became America's Most Overrated Product, available now at bobzadek.com. Robert, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you Sunday at 8 o'clock. Just uh, time for an update on traffic here. Let's uh, slip aside for the moment and do that right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. Here's the latest on your Tuesday ride home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Let's uh, get you an update here. Riverview Christian Academy. We've talked about it before. They're up in um, Shasta County, if memory serves me right. It is a, a Christian boarding school, been around for oh, 20-something-plus years and largely lived in peace and quiet. And then uh, somebody apparently decided to put some things out on the Internet suggesting that they were, uh, you know, about to do a, a Jim Jones-type uh, uh, Jonestown deal, and they had been gathering up uh, weapons and so on and so forth. So uh, with no investigation, no evidence, uh, not an inkling of any proof of any of these allegations, um, our fair government descended upon Riverview Christian Academy and constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, picks up the story from there. And, uh, Counselor, that's just about it, isn't it? Didn't they, somebody, I'm guessing somebody that just wasn't a friend 
of this ministry organization put some highly erroneous information about them out on the internet that led authorities to believe that they were about to run into another uh, group of Branch Davidians. Yes, um, it, it was outrageous uh, what happened. The raid that took place, uh, how they, they treated uh, the, the people that were there, the students, they were like you know, young children, uh, boys and girls. And, uh, you know, Craig, you know, they, uh, they, they, they searched the place, the SWAT team, uh, canine units, social workers, and they, they found nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and, but instead of apologizing, Craig, they decided to go ahead and double down the Department of Social Services and file a lawsuit to try to force the school to shut down completely because the school has uh, been registered under the Department of Education as an educational institution. It's a boarding school. Well, the Department of Social Services uh, detests what's taught in this Christian boarding school because of who runs and controls, the radicals who control that, that branch uh, department. And uh, they wanted to uh, actually have them uh, brought under their supervision, which would prevent them uh, from doing so, teaching a Christian biblical worldview, and in fact would uh, make it able for, make it a- enable the students to uh, engage in sexual exploration as well as religious exploration at a Christian school. Wow. And, and it sounds like part of this is motivated on the fact that they got some erroneous information, didn't do their due diligence, didn't do their homework, and then had to come back and save face. I mean, otherwise, how, how do you explain, this isn't we got the wrong house address. How do you explain descending upon a, a uh, boarding school with government officials, more than 30 people all told that just kind of, boom, pounced on them to find out there's no there there. Sounds to me like somebody's trying to uh, save themselves from a big big degree of uh, embarrassment here, if not outright lawsuit. Well, yes. And, and you know, what happened was uh, an article out of BuzzFeed is what precipitated this, and it was about a story, a 10-year story, 10-year-old story of, a, of someone who had allegedly been there who, um, you know, was... Uh, an alternative lifestyle and didn't like the fact that the Christian teachings there didn't affirm that lifestyle. And, uh, and so that's what reportedly took place. And so the, uh, I mean, so the story came out, you know, they did a story on this 10 year old story and they used that to get a warrant instead of investigating, knocking on the door, talking to them. Um, they just, they just, uh, just expanded this thing out way beyond anything and found out there was no truth uh, to any, uh, suspicions, like you said, so uh, it's it's really outrageous. But they they have an agenda, Craig. The Department of Social Service wants to shut down every single Christian boarding school, every single one of them, um, because they want to force them to to sign off on this radical uh, sexual agenda that they are pushing with regards to the kids and the uh, the lifestyles and alternative relationships that simply don't parallel with a Christian biblical worldview. And it seems to me that there's there's an awful lot of spinning wheels here. I mean, how many Christian boarding schools can there possibly be in the state of California? Again, this appears to be driven more by a sense of saving face and agenda uh, than, than, than any real active threat here that somehow children are receiving a less than ideal education. In fact, if anything, if you see uh, the kind of angst against homeschooling, for example, you find out that typically uh, homeschoolers go on to four-year colleges and universities at a higher degree than those who go through uh, the public education system, certainly tend to uh, perform better on SAT 
tests. I mean, almost every um, yardstick that we can use to measure educational performance, homeschooled or privately schooled children excel. So it sounds to me like somebody's feeling threatened here. Yes, and they, uh, the, the agenda here is, is very radical that the, that the Department of Social Service is pushing. They, instead of apologizing, they filed a lawsuit to shut down this school. They filed a, a, for a preliminary injunction to shut down the school. Uh, our chief counsel, Kevin Snyder, argued the case, and uh, I'm pleased to announce that the judge uh, sided with us and said, yes, there's serious constitutional concerns here if we just, the government could just shut down a school um, for these these reasons, which are not non-founded. Um, and, uh, and so... The, the, uh, so we won. The school's still open, still functioning. It was a big win. It's still going to go to trial, it looks like. The Department of Social Services isn't backing down. And, Craig, we have Pacific Justice that are willing to take this all the way to the Supreme Court because if we don't stop this, this bullying, um, they're going to try to shut down every Christian boarding school in California and other states, uh, the state of Washington, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, etc., uh, will jump on the same bandwagon. And Christian boarding schools and Christian private schools homeschooling, it's just too important from a First Amendment religious freedom perspective and a parental rights perspective. Yeah, a tre- tremendous amount at, at risk here, to be sure, and a point that they're trying to make, and, and a big part of it, too, is they, they, they don't want to admit to the embarrassment, and I suppose um, if they had done so, they would leave themselves open to a lawsuit, so, heck, let's create a distraction instead. Um, we appreciate uh, the update and the work being done by the Pacific Justice Institute on behalf of Riverview Christian Academy. And um, Brad Dacus always does a fantastic job. He's been at this for a lot of years. And by the way, you hear, of course, uh, his presence, his updates here on KFAX um, seven days a week. And uh, we certainly um, stand behind everything that Pacific Justice Institute does in terms of defending religious freedom um, for those of us here in California and, and across all the western states. In fact, they've taken sta- cases in states all across the union. Uh, on today, Tuesday, the day of giving, uh, you may want to think as you consider uh, your giving toward the end of the year here to uh, remember Pacific Justice Institute. You can check them out online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And our thanks to Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute for that update. 601, let's get you updated on uh, some traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center.